Welcome to Everyday Motherhood, the podcast that inspires you to pause, connect, and play more every single day. The podcast that's focused on you, the mom, to help you fill up your cup and rediscover the joy and love in your everyday life. We can't parent alone, and parenting is too serious to be serious all the time. Thanks for being here. My name is Christy Thomas. I am the founder and developer of PlayForLifeMoms.com. Let's jump in. Today's podcast was recorded at the end of March, just as everyone was coming home to start school at home. It is a guest named Josh McNeil, and I'm just gonna jump right in because he explains who he is. As we add play and as we add fun, it actually improves our academic capability for for the most part and in most scenarios. Every every learner is obviously different, but yeah. um, but for many people, they're, they're not going to be able to focus on something for too long just by sitting at a table, you know, talking about it or reading about it. And so, being able to just build in other elements to that just you know works out for most learners. Yeah. Okay. So before we get too far, yeah, your sorry. name is Josh, and who are you? Let's introduce you. Yeah, so I'm Josh McNeil. I'm the director of what's called Lakeside's Neurologic Initiative. So uh, Lakeside is a is a nonprofit in the northern suburbs of Philadelphia. Okay. And we've run alternative schools as well as in school and in community uh, counselors and educators for a number of years now. I believe we're in our 40th year of uh, doing a traditional school system, and we've been in you know business for about 60 years of just serving students. And so. A few years ago, I started my career there as, as a teacher teaching ninth and 11th grade English. And we began to look into what we called um, and what's been kind of popularized mm-hmm. as trauma-informed education. And so that that's kind of where, where we began to explore as we realized that the vast majority of students that were getting sent to us gotcha. were students who um, obviously were getting in trouble or not doing well in a traditional school setting, but most of them had these really difficult early life experiences or they had these really, really stressful home lives or community lives that they're going Absolutely. back to. And so we realized that there had to be a connection there. There had to be um, something that was orienting their behavioral issues mm-hmm. or academic or social issues and the fact that they had these difficult life experiences. And that just caused us to do a lot of research and in which we found a lot of great information, but all of it was really coming back to the brain and that understanding that how our brains operate is so important to how we're going to be able to learn, how we're gonna be able to socialize, how we're going to be able to handle behavioral scenarios, yet it's so molded by the life experiences we have. And so in our program, everything we try and do is going to be very, very brain-based, um, mm-hmm. trying to just understand how does the brain actually work? Because, and you know, even neuroscientists right now say we only understand a small percentage of right. that, but taking the information that we do have, how does it work? And are we actually utilizing that in academic settings? And and as you said, you know, brain breaks have been one thing that we've spent a lot of time on because we realize that that's something that is attainable to anybody in any circumstance. You know, we talk about a lot of cool strategies where you could, you know, buy tools for, create space for, and those yeah. are all amazing as well. But a brain break and even just thinking in that mindset mm-hmm. Is something that anybody can do in any scenario, whether you're walking through the grocery store with your child or teaching a class of adults, uh, mm-hmm. you know, really hard content or anything in between, you can utilize just that understanding of where's their brain at right now? What do they need to get reset instead of what's my agenda that I'm trying to accomplish right now? That is really good information. So I have a question for you. When we have all these kids that are now at home with distance learning and homeschooling, 
um, situations that aren't used to this. And even as a homeschooler, just my stress level is up high. So I know I know that I'm not showing up as well for yeah. a homeschool mom role. Um, what is the attention span that most kids have before they need a brain break? Like if you've never heard of this before, right? The, what do we expect? The, the general rule of thumb: if you're doing something that not emotionally invested in. So obviously, mm -hmm. you know, you could take a 10 year old and they could play a video game for four hours straight and you say, see, you have a good attention span. <laughs> but when, when you remove the, the element that it's not something that you're as emotionally invested in. And so even if you might like the subject area, it, it still might be something that you're not going to be able to just do for hours and hours on end. The, gotcha. the basic rule of thumb is a, about one minute per year of life. Okay. And quite frankly, that caps out at about 20. And so okay. even I as was going to say, like, I don't think I have a 38 minute attention span. <laughs> <laughs> right, exactly. And so even for adults, like you're going to cap out at about 20 minutes unless you've either had something throughout that was, um, you know, a, a resource of, of stress reduction or if you're able to take breaks throughout. And and you'll see that we, we naturally do you know, even minute things throughout the course of something, you know, even if you're sitting in a training, your leg is kicking, you're doodling, right. you're fidgeting with something. And those are all forms of stress reduction. And gotcha. so that, that's your brain saying like, I, I need to do a little something right now to, to stay right here. And even, you know, I do a lot of adult education. You'll see them standing in the back. You see people yep. that need to get up and do their restroom breaks. Like you're, you're naturally seeking what your body needs, but that's a long answer to say about no, one minute. It's great though. Life. No, because I think right now, if you haven't had experience trying to teach your kid academics, it would be really easy right now to overwhelm and say, let's just do everything your teacher says and get it done with. And, and there's also that assumption that they're probably just working their butts off from the moment they get to school to the moment that they leave. And right. obviously some teachers are building these opportunities in throughout the course of the day. There's also the reality that as you're checking out, a teacher can't be attuned to all 25, 30 students in the classroom. And so unless you're checking out in a very overt way that's being disruptive, chances are you're not getting called out for it each time you you begin to tune out. But if you are one or two children mm -hmm. and your parent is suddenly there trying to support you, it's going to be a lot easier to say, wait, why aren't you looking at that book right now? You haven't turned the page in four <laughs> minutes. What's going on? You know, and, and so it's so easy to catch all of those things. Yep. And in your mind, you're thinking, are you trying to take advantage of me because I'm your parent? Right. And or why aren't you, you know, trying as hard right now? Why are you giving up? And just realizing that it's usually not that case. Like usually those those responses that we give that are assuming that I'm being taken advantage of or you're not respecting me or you're trying to be disruptive or whatever it might be, that that's implying, you know, to, to almost exaggerate a little bit, but sociopathic tendencies. Like it's implying that that somebody is doing something to to get under our skin, like it's intentional and it's thought out. And more often than not, it's not thought out. If, you know, if I'm giving a lecture and I see an adult staring out the window, I'm not thinking, man, that person's really trying to get me. It's yeah. that realization that they just can't stay tuned in as long as I'm talking right now. But I also need to use that not to take it personally, but as a cue, maybe this audience needs a little brain break right now. Maybe mm -hmm. there's something more that they need. And so I think that our automatic response is to personalize it, Absolutely. where we really want to reframe our response to realizing what does that person need right now? How can I support them right now? Okay, so if you notice your kid, because so many kids are working off of like Google Classroom right now, mm -hmm. and they're doing a mile, I, seven mile stare over the top of their computer screen, what's something you would suggest for a parent to try yeah. to pull them 
out of that. Yeah. Or and help and, them. and I, I always like to say, I mean, there's every single child is different. And so I, like, I do want to be clear with that because, you know, <laughs> I, I could, I could hand out different ideas and it's going to be different based upon obviously their age, their relationship mm-hmm. with the parent yeah. um, and, and really where they're at right now. And so in that scenario there where they are like zoning out, but if they, if they're not like getting upset, getting right. angry, you know, talking, like if, if it's just kind of that, I mean, that's where even going as simple as a, a quick conversation, like just a, just a, you know, a, uh-huh. an actual check-in, just, Hey, how are you? How's it going? Not, and not talking at all about the work though. Like, I think right. that's where sometimes we get stuck. Oh, what are you learning right now? What, you know, why aren't you paying attention to it? And so we want to drive right into that yep. instead, you know, the, the whole purpose behind a brain break. And obviously we'll get to more structured ones, I'm sure, but this being very unstructured yeah. in work too, it's literally at its core a break for the brain. And so the brain is right there telling you, I need a break from this screen right now. And so giving you something else to turn to as you move from the cortex, which if, if you have a child who is fairly decent academically and they've been working on a computer doing schoolwork and you see them just kind of zoning out, what you can assume is that they're beginning to get to the lower parts of that cortex and they're now kind of bridging the gap into that limbic area of the brain, which is far more relational and emotional. And so a simple check-in with another human being is gonna be so advantageous. You know, a a typical school day, you are surrounded by human beings. You have proximity to your peers, you have a physical living adult that's probably not too far from you either that you might have a relationship with. They look at you, they smile at Mm -hmm. you. There's all these tiny little moments that can actually be small doses of activation to your limbic level of the brain brain that are suddenly gone. And so there's things that might help you get through a 45 minute class period have now disappeared. And so 10 minutes into a Google lecture or reading something on a computer, suddenly your capacity to do that goes down a lot. And so being able to just have a a, a check that can go a really long way in trying to ease some of those, uh, you know, that zoning out, if you will. I think that's a really good point you mentioned um, that when a kid is in class, if your kid is just coming home with the school shutdowns, they are used to a large amount of activity going on around them. I remember as a classroom teacher how long it would take to pass out textbooks or collect papers. Just simple activities require a lot of human to human interaction that they're not getting at home right now. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that, you know, we we do need to be attuned to all of those differentiating changes that that are occurring right now because mm-hmm. it's not like like you're saying it's not just oh you happen to be learning from a new environment but it you know their entire life has changed yeah. in, in some extraordinarily obvious ways but in a thousand minute ways that, that they didn't realize how much it helped them when they walked through the hallway and an upperclassman smiled and said hi. Like yeah. they didn't realize how much it helped them to walk in the class and the teacher actually said your name as you walked through the door. And and there's those things that they might not have been cognitively realizing that are now missing. And what's completely unfair and completely unrealistic is that now that's falling on parents and yeah. working parents that are trying Especially. to support. So it's mm-hmm. an unrealistic expectation. I want to be clear about that. Like Absolutely. It, I'm no fully on board with you. Space. You yeah. can't bring it, public school home. You can't bring any school home in that model. Homeschool exactly. never looks like that when it's done by most homeschoolers. So, right. yeah, you can't copy that. Yeah. So, it, yeah, it's kind of like the impossible is being asked. But I think that 
you know, it's one thing to realize that you can't do all of that, but but it's another thing to really accept that. And I, and I think that that's mm -hmm. the key because if we try and just be, you know, super mom and super dad and, mm -hmm. and do do it all, we're going to drive ourselves and our kids crazy. And so it, instead, I, I think that it's so important that we realize like I can't replace that. But the, when I do kind of insert myself into the situation, and am I relieving stress or am I adding more stress? And, and I think that that's what we need to be really cognizant of because our primary role at this point should probably be to be relieving stress when we step in. And that could be through a simple conversation. That could be, hey, let's go you know, take a walk. Let's yeah. go play, play a game right now. Let's do some type of activity. Like let's, let's figure that out. But that should really be our primary goal and role at this time, instead of feeling like we need to be like, why aren't you paying attention? Or what are you learning right now? And, and adding more stress to the situation. Yeah, I think if you can remember in those moments to lead with connection first in yeah. some sort of way that a connected brain is what's gonna be more relaxed to recall anything you're trying to learn, right? Right. Okay, yeah. so. Yeah, keep going. Sorry. Oh no, sorry. Well, I was just, I was just gonna say, yeah. At our core is relationship, yeah. right? And so, like, we we are relational beings. We yeah. from from birth rely on relationship. Our brain relies yeah. on that for for survival. And so, that's going to be a, a great place to start. The the one kind of um, piece that I always like to to add to that, though, the caveat, yeah. if you will, is that sometimes because we're at home with them, sometimes. Yeah of what's happening now, we can, as the adults, end up being the source of stress. And so Absolutely. If, if that's the case, then our relationship isn't going to fix it in that moment. Right. So if they're stressed out because we've been stressing them out, saying, hey, let's just have a fun talk right now isn't going to fix it. And so <laughs> no. we need to realize that in a moment like that, that's when either we need to look through who else is in this home that could support you. And if that's not the case, it, they're going to calm down or regulate far better in our absence than they are in our presence. And so that's where them being, having been taught other tools that might help them mm -hmm. to calm down, them having been taught some brain breaks, that that's something that could really be advantageous in a moment like that, where we might be able to do, you know, what I, I kind of call like the flyby check-in. You can tell that there's a problem. We know that we're part of it. We fly by and say, hey, it might be a good time for you to take a break from your work or it might be a good time to do a brain break. Sometimes people would write down a lot of yep. you know, brain breaks, you like collaborate with your child up front and figure out which ones do they like, write them down on a popsicle stick, put them in a jar and put them yep. in their room and then you know, walk by and be like, now might be a good time to grab one of the brain breaks from your jar and then just walk away and leave it up to them. You're not hovering over them saying you didn't do it yet, but just- <laughs> No, like you're managing it. Yeah. Exactly. You're just putting that idea in their head and then seeing, is this something they're actually gonna buy into right now or not? Okay, so what would be, let's talk about brain breaks and help you come up with some structured brain breaks that people might need help with. So how can we implement some? Yeah, absolutely. And so, um, you know, at, at the key of it all, it, or at the core really of it all is, is once again, you wanna find something that the, that child's going to buy into, something that, that they're going to be interested in. And a lot of it too, is that you would want to just pay attention to what are the things that they're already doing when they are getting upset. And so we talked a little bit about like, if they are kind of doing that zoning out, like that relational mm -hmm. piece, but as they're getting lower in the brain, like if you find that, that they just get like really, really like physically active, that mm -hmm. could be if they're sitting there and they're getting really, really fidgety, they can't stop tapping on the desk, they can't stop moving things around, yep. shuffling around, kicking their feet, 
um, like, or even standing up and walking around, that tells you that they're going to need some type of movement at that point in time. And some of those things they could even do while they're still sitting and engaging in work, but some things that they might do, they might need to physically remove themselves from the situation. Mm -hmm. But, um, you know, you can just teach them really basic little things such as, um, you know, like the classic, like take your hand and spread it and like put your, you know, put your hand through each, you know, webbing of the finger really okay. quickly yeah. and move, you know, kind of move backwards yep. that way. Um, and so you're just getting that like controlled physical movement where you're going back and forth, back and forth as quickly as you can okay. through the, the webbing of your finger. And so that's like a very basic, simple thing that they could do as, as they're sitting there fidgeting. But what it does in that moment is it puts your focus on something else. And yeah. so it helps you, you're now, cause it takes just a tiny bit of focus to be able to do that. And it helps to become a, a distraction. Another great one, once again, that's gonna just be, you know, working on your focus, putting a lot of focus mm -hmm. on something futile would be to wink your right eye while you're trying to snap your left fingers or Ooh. even just touching the, you know, the, those left fingers. And so, and then you switch and do your left eye with your right finger. And so you're just kind of going back and forth uh -huh. as you're attempting to do that. Inevitably, the first handful of times you do that, you'll end up snapping and blinking <laughs> on the same side, but it, it's just, and then you laugh at yourself. It's yeah. goofy. It's and so you're just trying to do that. But as you're trying to do that, you're no longer thinking about whatever your parent just did that annoyed you. You're no longer thinking about whatever you're trying to do on your worksheet on yep. your, you know, you're solely focused in on that little silly game there. And then that takes, it's a great break that literally could take a minute or two or it could take longer, mm -hmm. but then you can transition back into what you're doing. One that you could do either with somebody else or by yourself is, you know, take just like a ball or it could be a, you know, fidget, stuffed animal, yeah. whatever, toss it up in the air. And when it reaches its highest point, clap your hands once and then you catch it, you toss it up again. And so once again, you're focused on it. What right. I like about that is that you're actually utilizing multiple senses because yeah. you have your eyes focused, you have the physical touch of your hands, you have the sound of clapping. And so you have a lot of your senses focused in on one thing, which once again, helps you to really reset and transition back into whatever that next thing is that you might be trying to do. And so, um, and really when it comes to creating brain breaks that are gonna be physical like mm -hmm. that, you can you can really do just about anything. Like the, the goal is controlled movement to okay. some degree. And so if you can think of any type of activity, and it could also be as simple as doodling, coloring, little things like that, those are gonna be activating to that midbrain, that, that part of the brain that just needs that ability to move, but that's gonna help you to be able to activate and calm that part of the brain which will then sequentially get you right back up to the cortex. So after a few minutes of doing something like that, you're going to be in a much better spot to go on to learning. And would that be free doodling or would it be like a lesson? Like, cause I know uh, for the dancing, we talked, you talked about like movement before and that like a freeze dance, like a, if you're doing a dancing activity, it needs to be a little bit more structured. So yeah. Yeah. So, so, so when I'm when I talk about dancing like that, what I more mean is if you just go crazy and you're spinning and, yeah. you know, you're, okay. you're just going to build your energy level up gotcha. way too much. So that's actually going to make the transition harder when it comes to doodling or coloring. I would really leave it up to the individual okay. because um, it yeah, it being like completely free thought is perfectly fine. Like allow their imagination to take over. That's something that's going to I mean, even though that's going to utilize all right. parts of the brain it's still something that's gonna to help to calm them. And once again, you want them to be able to have that buy-in. So mm -hmm. if, if doing a free doodle would create more buy-in than telling them to doodle something specific, that would help. Now, one thing that I have done before is that, 
you know, doodling something that in theory one could do while listening to a lecture right. or while watching an educational video. And and that works for some and not for others. There's been research that shows that those that doodle can actually learn more than those that don't. But with the students that I've worked with, I've always just said that the proof is in the pudding. And yeah. so some students can doodle whatever they want and then I'll ask them questions and they're right on point. Yep. And others, they get so lost in it because quite mm -hmm. frankly, they're dissociating in what they're doing. Right, they're so focused on that for them to also be paying attention. And so with those students, I would say we need to find a slightly better plan. I started to actually give my some of my students um, like blank cartoon pages. Yeah. And I'll tell them basically doodle a cartoon as your notes. And so that that way, whatever we're talking about now, as an English teacher, that was a little easier. But, mm -hmm. um, you know, whatever story we're talking about, they'd be able to kind of make a comic strip that was representative of what we were talking about. And so it still gave them that outlet they were looking for, but it forced them to be a bit more engaged in the content we were trying to cover that day. Absolutely. As a middle school science teacher, I would have them doodle like Pokemon style cards was the goal every day yeah. was to have them those kids that needed more hands-on stuff whenever we were working on vocabulary, it was like, well, this group of kids gets to make cards, trading cards instead. Yeah, that's so. awesome. So yeah, there are lots of things you can do. I liked, um, I watched you in the webinar with Julie Bogart earlier this week, and you gave an activity with tracing letters and saying numbers. What does that do for the brain? Yeah. Yes. Yeah, so so that, that activity is called ABC123. And, and for those that hadn't seen it, the basics of it are that you want to do air letters kind of large out in front of your body. So you would draw the letter A. And when you draw the letter A, you would say the number one. Then when you draw the letter B, you would say the number two. And your goal is to get to Z and be saying the number 26. And so first off, it's just you kind of everybody that does it ends up laughing at themselves. Like yeah. it's, it's really difficult to do. You end up drawing numbers and saying letters. And, you know, so many people say I got to, you know, Z, but I was only at the number 23. And <laughs> so how did I skip one in there? And so it, it's just it's a goofy activity. Yeah. And so smiling and laughter are actually really calming. You know, if yep. it, when you get stressed, the muscles in your face actually get tightened. You get kind of that furrowed brow. Oh, yeah. look. So anything that makes you smile or laugh is going to be advantageous. Um, breathing is what, something we haven't talked about yet, but breathing is so important for every region of the brain and in helping us to calm down. And when you laugh, you're actually getting more air into your body. So it's oh, actually kind of cool. a breathing exercise to do that. And so once again, that's one of the unique things about that activity. But the other thing that happens with that activity is that it has you crossing over your body's midline. And so mm -hmm. um, the your brain is connected by this fiber called the corpus callosum. And it's essentially these neuropathways that connect the two hemispheres of your brain and allow them to communicate with one another. And as you're stressed, it's sometimes hard for your brain to communicate well because you're you're only operating from lower regions of your brain. And so doing activities like that kind of primes the pump, so to speak. And yeah. so anytime you're feeling frustrated and you really need to kind of gain access to the full brain, yeah. doing something where you cross your body's midline yeah. or something called bilateral movement where you're using both sides of your body together, that's going to help to invigorate both hemispheres of the brain, kind of prime the pump, so to speak, with that uh, corpus callosum so that your brain's going to be able to calm down more rapidly, but also be able to access more information uh, more readily. Um, you know, obviously I mentioned earlier that I work a lot in trauma and yeah. those that have experienced early childhood trauma often have an underdevelopment of that corpus callosum. And so that that part of the brain isn't as well developed. And so once again, activities like that, mm -hmm. if you have a child that, you know, experienced a high level of stress early in life is going to also help with that connectivity between the two hemispheres of the brain. 
Okay, so that would be anything that's like crossing the midline is what you're saying for someone that you know would have like a foster care experience, maybe an adverse childhood experience. Is that what you're talking about, Josh? Correct. Yeah. So, so I mean, and there's, yeah, there's a plethora I mean, yeah, of, there's of a, things that could cause it for sure. And, and I also like to be clear that, you know, just because somebody had early childhood right. adversity does not mean like it's not a diagnosis, but it's just kind of w one of those common threads, the way that the brain is going to yeah. change and yeah. rewire. That's one of the common threads that they've seen can occur is that that corpus callosum is not going to develop in the same way it would in a more neurotypically developmental way. And because of and, that, that would lead to, would that show as more frustration or not being able to sit still? Um, it, it could potentially do that. It's going to show as for sure is that you're going to have some different academic issues. So for instance, you could be taking a test and then yeah. the answer to the test question could be in one hemisphere of the brain and your ability to write it on the test could be in the other hemisphere gotcha. of the brain. And so you having that lack of connection there, but obviously that could play itself out in, in so many different ways oh, right. where you know, you're, you're conversing with somebody and your ability to not punch them is in one hemisphere and you're, you know, the, the <laughs> rational side of the brain that would, you know, be able to gather those those deeper thoughts would be in another. So it, it absolutely can play itself. Anytime that you do anything that that it, that there's anything that's happening developmentally yeah. that's going to impact the flow of information, it, it's going to put more and more um, difficulty to be able to process what's happening and more and more difficulty getting up to the higher parts. And so you're then going to be more likely to react and respond from the lower parts of the brain, which are far more reactionary than being able to reflect upon what's happening and make a wise decision. Okay, this is really good information. One of my uh, VIP members in my community specifically asked about this because she has oh, awesome. a kiddo she adopted that's a six-year-old little boy. And she's like, I think there's a connection. So ask him yeah. because we're having a hard time with something. Yeah, no, there absolutely is. And, and, you know, real quick, I mean, one of the things that I always say, I have a lot of people that ask me about yeah. kind of like that early fosterhood and, um, you know, just there's a lot that can happen. Even if you had adopted somebody at birth, like even in utero, that's where your brain stem is developing. Like your, your brain's, you know, going through a significant amount of development mm -hmm. there. And so there is potential at any point there that the the development of the brain has been impacted. You know, even even if the person wasn't utilizing substances or any of the classic things, yeah. the fact that they were under a high level of stress, the fact that they were pregnant with a child that they knew they were not going to ultimately be caring for, like all of that has the potential of being passed down to that child. And so basically what happens is that it doesn't mean that that child's brain is impacted forever. Right. But what it does mean is that that child likely is not going to develop in at the same pace or at the same rate as other children that didn't come from that exact same experience. And what often happens is that as that child is developing, they might you might begin to see specific areas where they're not on par, so to speak, with uh -huh. other friends that have kids that are a similar age. And then the parents begin to get worried, concerned, or frustrated. They start to try and kind of push them along. Oh, this is where we need to be. <laughs> yeah. And I say, like, just slow down. Like, yeah, that child might want you to hug them and hold them and cuddle for years longer than others would. Yeah. They might not be able to handle certain things. They might be a little bit more explosive, but realize that what they need is just a, a dosage, a higher dosage than other children might of some of those things that you do. I mean, all everything that we do for a newborn child mm -hmm. that activates the brainstem. And so the hugging them, the holding them, the swaddling them tight, the giving them something to suck on, it, it helps that development of that brainstem. It activates that part of the brain. And though we're not thinking about it this way as a parent, right 
giving them a dosage of that that they are not going to need in a couple of years. But we always then get worried, oh, now it's been 10 months and they still are asking for the same things they were asking for at two months. Something mm -hmm. must be wrong here. And what we're not realizing is that because of that child's development, they likely just need a bit more of that dosage than uh, somebody else might have needed. That's really great. That's good information. So if you, what is, you have a kiddo that's home from school. Do you have a favorite brain break that you've done with your child since they've been home with school? Um, so, and I, and I know that I talked about this one on, on the podcast, but one that, I mean, yeah. every kid that I work with loves, um, is just the, the, the paper football blowing. Yeah. And so that, that's one that, that he's really bought into a lot. And, um, you know, it, and what I love about it, it, it's just, you take a piece of paper, you fold it into a triangle and, and you know, you can blow it across a table. And, and the goal is you just get it leaning over the side of the table. But what, what's so great about that is that it's just, it's meant to be an exercise where you focus on yeah. breathing. And if I take my, you know, seven-year-old child and say, okay, let's sit down and breathe into a count of four, <laughs> hold it for a count of four, <laughs> depending on the day they might try, uh -huh. or they're not going to be that invested in it. Or, you know, that, that actually takes more rhythm away from their breathing than yeah. it adds to it because they're trying so hard. But getting him to just take a deep breath and blow and find the yep. control of his breath as he's trying to blow something, that that's something that has... Um, really, really worked well for for him. And and once again, I mean, it's one where ideally you're utilizing activities proactively, yeah. like just you know before they get too upset. But even if he's upset because it's fun, he'd be willing to buy into that. All of a sudden, he's not fixated on what his brother or sister just yep. did to upset him. It's like, oh, I get to go play a game. And people are always worried, like, aren't you rewarding them for bad behavior? But no, we are doing something that is kind of attuned to where he's at in the brain right now and trying to support him with that. And just, you know, we found a lot of success with that. The, the other one that I've used a lot is um, we have like a pull-up bar in our yeah. house. And so just letting him hang on that. And he just loves that. And so you're just getting, um, you know, anytime you utilize your large muscles mm -hmm. in a controlled way, that actually has the ability to wake the brain up or calm the brain down. And so it really just has this kind of way of kind of regulating that brain, really um, giving it whatever it needs. And so once again, sometimes when he's upset, but also proactively, it'll just be like, let's have a contest and see how long you can hang for and let's time you. And so once again, that little bit of a contest just builds up a little bit more interest in yeah, it. Um, but yeah, it can <laughs> just go a long way in helping to, um, yeah, just get them where they need to be. Yeah, my seven-year-old son loves hanging on our pull-up bar, and we call it training for Ninja Warrior, and no matter how frustrated he could be, like, that's an instant buy-in for him. Yeah, I, I was at a school once, and um, they they were telling me, you know, I always get called into schools, and they're asking me about the, the children that, that they just can't figure out, they yep. can't do anything to help them, and... And I was in there meeting with the administrators and they said, actually, that child that we were just talking about just got sent to the behavior room again. Um, you know, why don't you come and see, you know, see what we're talking about. Yeah. And and I walk in there and literally the child is hanging on to the, the door handle of the door, just dangling there, like kind of pulling yeah. himself up, young, younger elementary age child. Um, and just kind of like swinging himself back and forth. And they're like, he's refusing to get down, see how he's not listening, but you know. And I said, do you mind if I talk to him? And they're like, sure. And I just bent down, I was like, man, you're doing such a good job hanging up there, bud. I was like, how long can you hold it for? Can you do a pull up while you're doing it? You know, yeah. and instead of adding all this stress, telling him he's doing something wrong, we look at what he's doing, recognize that there's something about that that's calming for him. And then instead of utilizing it to add more stress, we utilize it as an opportunity to collaborate with him. And so I, as a complete stranger, was just 
talking to him saying, oh, does it, you know, you like hanging there? Oh, you're doing such a cool job. And after doing it for another 30 seconds to a minute, he gets down and he starts engaging and talking with me because that thing that he was doing, even though we viewed it as bad because it was breaking our rules or expectations, was something he was doing to calm down. It wasn't, you know, a well thought out, like, oh, this is really going to tick them off. I'm going to hang on the door. It was just wow, this feels good right now that I'm doing it. And so I want to keep doing that. And so my recommendation to them at the end of the day was get that kid a chin up bar, get him something (laughs) that's going to help. Like look at what the child is doing. And instead of having that battle again tomorrow and the next day, Mm -hmm. work with that child, recognize what's helping them right now and just keep providing opportunities to do that. Well, that is a really good ending point. So when you notice your kid doing something or present ideas to them. Um, I know if you Google brain breaks, you can find it or Josh has a great book, but I know that Amazon is really slow on shipping right now for books. Um, so, Oh, so, sorry. You just, um, did I cut out? You on you? Cut out right <laughs> well, I was sorry. saying it's really good to notice what your kid is doing and realize that it's something to calm their brain down and to not, and to use that moment instead of getting frustrated that it's potentially breaking a family rule in that moment, or you're thinking they're trying to get out of work, that you need to see it as a behavior that's helping and try to engage. Yeah, and and that's 100% right. I mean, all behavior is a form of communication, and sometimes it's intentional, sometimes they're doing something because they they are purposefully realizing it gets Mm -hmm. your attention, but other times it is very unintentional, and it is just an automatic response to something else that's going on, and so you're looking at that behavior, they're not trying to tell you, hey, I wanna hang on this right now, or I'm trying to do this thing right now, but their body is telling us something, and so we need to look at that, and I always recommend just, first off, ask yourself, why am I saying no to this? Am I saying no because this was a rule or expectation in my school or in my home growing up? Am I saying no because it is, uh, you know, just annoying to me? Like, those are probably not the best reasons to say no. If there's a safety issue, if they are destroying property, like, those are really good reasons to say no. But we also want to make sure that we're saying no, but. You know, no, I can't let you do that. But here's what you can do that maybe you would like that maybe you would do the same thing that's happening there. And so that's what we want to work towards. But we're so quick to just kind of pounce on the behavior that's bothering us instead of spending time realizing that there was a purpose behind that behavior. Excellent. So if parents want to find more brain breaks, I know you wrote a book that I really, really like, but I know Amazon is really slow on shipping it right now. Yeah. (laughs) Um, What is your book title again, Josh? It's 101 Brain Breaks and Brain-Based Educational Activities. Okay. So I know know that's a mouthful. But yeah, as you said, it's on Amazon and it's also on our website, which is lakesidelink.com. And but that, too, to be honest, because we're in PA and we're not allowed to be at work, they will all get shipped out at some point in the next two to 10 weeks, I'm sure. Okay, excellent. So how are you taking care of yourself during all of this shutdown and you're working from home and helping with school? What are you doing for self-care? Yeah, I mean, I, I think for me and, and one of the things that that I I think is really important, I, I think that at times we struggle to really realize 
how much the things around us are actually impacting mm-hmm. us. And and so one of the tools that, that we talk about a lot, I recommend it for adults, I recommend it for children, is to, to take your pulse often. And so the reason that you do that is that as you experience stress, your brain is going to either have an externalizing or an internalizing response where you're going to get a little bit more frustrated, agitated, or you're going to start to shut down. You might turn to your phone more. You might, you know, um, turn to TV or just like kind of sit down and zone out for a little bit. But the reason that your body is doing that is because your brain is saying, hey, this is stressful right now. Your brain interprets all stress as being potentially dangerous. And so the first thing that that then impacts is your heart rate. If your heart rate is going up, it's sending more blood to your extremities, making you a lot more reactive. If it goes down, it's pulling blood away from your extremities, making you actually slow down and calm, you know, not like calm down in a bad way though. And so by taking my pulse often, I can actually begin to understand how's my body doing right now. So for me, my normal pulse is going to be somewhere around 75, like 70 to 75 Mm -hmm. is a pretty normal spot for my pulse to be. And some days I don't really realize, oh man, I'm really agitated and upset, but then I'll take my pulse and realize it's at 90 right now. And I'm thinking, you know what? That probably means that I'm not really taking as good care of my kids as I think I am. Maybe I'm not responding as well to my staff as I should be when we're having our conversations. And so that then is that really clear and tangible indicator. I need to do something else right now, whether it's let me go outside and take a walk, whether it's, you know, me turn to one of my favorite breathing exercises, whether it's, you know, just basic needs of like, did I eat anything? Have I drank anything yet? You know, just trying to take care of those things. And so I'm I'm a huge proponent of take your pulse often. You can do it old school way. There's apps on um, cell phones that do it. You can buy a pulse oximeter and figure out first off, what's your baseline. So when you know you're calm, figure out what your pulse is then, and then just make a habit of taking it multiple times throughout the day. Um, I don't do this, but I know some people like set a timer throughout the course of the day. So it's just that reminder, let me see where it's at right now. And it just gives that clear cut. Like, I don't, I don't know if I'm angry, if I'm anxious, if I'm stressed, if I'm upset, sad, whatever, but I can see that my pulse isn't where I need it to be. And I know that when I'm between 70 and 75, I'm a better husband, father, and boss than I am if I'm at 90, so. That's such a tangible, easy, like you can't deny number. I love it when our bodies give us clear feedback. Exactly, and you can't argue with your body. You know, if if, if I'm in a bad spot and my, you know, wife comes in and with, you know, are you you upset about something? Like all of a sudden I'm like getting upset saying, no, I'm not upset, right? (laughs) You know, and that's how we respond and act where, you know, you can argue with a human, but you can't really argue with yourself. So, you know, if your body's telling you something clear like that, that's where it's a lot easier to pay attention. Excellent. So, and what's one way you're playing as a family and building memories during this time? Yeah. So, I mean, obviously there's been a lot of time to just be outside yeah. and, and trying to do that. But the one new thing that, that we started to do, um, and actually as soon as we're done here, we're, we're going to go do an activity from this, but we just started um, watching the show Minute to Win It. There's old yes, reruns. I love that show. Okay. Yeah. And, and so there's old reruns. And so we're just watching it with our kids and and just saying, okay, what activities do you think that we could do? And so, uh, you know, once we get off here today, we, we collected a bunch of uh, soda cans and we're going to be trying to stack them up on a plate floating in water and see so if cool. we can do five in 60 seconds. But it's fun because it creates the relational opportunity yeah. as you're 
watching it, talking about it. Can is this something that we could do? And and then you know, with some of the activities, it's all right. We need to collect the stuff for it, or we need to make the the right props for it. And then it's obviously just the the opportunity to actually participate in it together. Yeah, there's so much novelty. Like those yeah. activities are hard for adults and equally easier challenging for a kid like the yeah. playing field is easy we um we do those sort of games on thanksgiving as an epic game day challenge while oh, everyone's cool. here so it's a huge tradition at my house i love those yeah. games oh that's awesome well thank you so much for being here um if oh, people want to find you online they would go to lakeside link is that the website yes yeah, yeah, so, so our, our website is lakesidelink.com um, our, you know, we, we try and do a lot on social media. So Instagram is neurologic by Lakeside um, and same with Facebook as well. And then we've just started to do, um, a lot with YouTube as well. So just beginning to, to try and build that up as we realize there's a lot of people at home right now <laughs> um, that might be able to be helped. And so just, yeah, our, our YouTube channel is just neurologic, but, um, yeah, just being able to find that. And you can find that through all of our social media accounts as well. Well, thank you so much for being here and uh, stay safe and be well. All right. Awesome. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. Yeah. I feel like this was a master's class in brain knowledge. I always learn so much when I read Josh's book or hear him speak. He has been a guest on other podcasts that I've listened to. So if you go look for his name, wherever you listen to podcasts, you will find other episodes with him. But take a deep breath. Remember that you're the right parent for your kids. You're the right mom for your kids and your kids are the right kids for you. This is a hard time and you're doing it. You should feel so proud. Give yourself a giant hug and go find the Facebook group so we can keep talking there. Bye, everyone. Everything's in the show notes.